Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live.
And how fitting is it with Bill Conti playing the Rocky Three song, Mickey? A very emotional, a very sad, but also a very unique piece of music here on Wrestling Debate for episode number six, or excuse me, 41. One seven two four 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 seventy forty four caller ID one three nine nine two five. Welcome to the debate. I am your head moderator, if you will, for tonight. The Iceman, Jared DiGirolamo, ladies and gentlemen, and hopefully we will be joined by the other members of the debate table here in just a little while. King NWO, Gerard T. Smith, the master of disaster, the king of sting, the count of Monte Fisto, he's all those and then some. And also hopefully the first true lady of the radio network, the lovely, lovely, beautiful black widow herself, Michelle Lynn Dodds. Hopefully will join us also, Miss Madness herself. And it is Wednesday, February 8th, 2017. Welcome to the show, as we just said here at the outset. Tonight, folks, on the debate, however, I want to debate, however, and I'm sure we debated about this before, but I'm going to bring it back up again, obviously, is some of the, uh, well, the greatest moments, however, over the years between WrestleMania and Starcade. WrestleMania, as you know, of course, got its start in March of 1985, however, thanks to Vince McMahon, however, and was held in one of the most famous arenas of all time, the great Madison Square Garden in New York City, New York, in front of 20,000 people, however, that saw Hulk Hogan team up with Mr. T to take on Cowboy Bob Orton's henchman of the late great Hot Scott himself, Rowdy Rowdy Piper, and Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Hogan's team, of course, had none other than the late, great Jimmy Superfly Snook, who tragically we lost less than a month ago, however, at the age of 73 in their corner. Also on this night, however, we had a lot of celebrities make an impact, however, on this night, including Liberace's the guest timekeeper, the late, great Billy Martin as guest ring announcer, Pat Patterson, Hall of Fame legend, however, and famous... Vince McMahon Stooge is one of the famous referees in this bout. The late, great, probably one of the greatest of all time, Muhammad Ali, also being an enforcer on this day. We also had a lot of big-name uh, athletes that competed on this show, including uh, the late, great, uh, as I mentioned, Roddy Piper. We also talked about... Uh, Matt, uh, other greats that were on this show that we tragically lost on this show uh, later on down the road, including Maniac, Matt Bourne. Uh, we also had the late, great, classy Freddie Blassie on this night. Also, Captain Lou Albano was a member of this show. Andre the Giant, Big John Studd, uh, the fabulous Moolah. I mean, what else could we say? Yes, folks, WrestleMania was definitely the showcase of the Immortals when it came out in late March of 1985. But two years prior to that, folks, we also had a showcase of the Immortals that really started it all. And, of course, it all began down south in a little city called Greensboro, Greensboro, North Carolina, to be exact. And the event that was held was known then simply as Starcade. And on Starcade 1983, Thanksgiving night, Thursday, November 24th, 1983, history was made in that building. 
And, of course, we had a lot of famous athletes that competed not only at the first WrestleMania, but at the first Starcade as well. Some of them, of course, had actually tried their luck by uh, appearing in other federations later on down the road. Some stayed where they were going to stay for a long time before jumping ship later on down the road. But some of the people that made an impact on that uh, Starcade show, however, included the following. Dusty Rhodes, Gordon Soley, Roddy Piper, as I mentioned. Uh, also on that show, we had Wahoo McDaniels. Uh, we had also Johnny Weaver. We had uh, Gary Hart, Rufus R. Jones. And, of course, we had Jack Briscoe. Yes, folks, Starcade was a happening. And, of course, it was in November of 1983 in front of 16,000-plus fans that night, however, that saw history being made in the South. And to us Northerners, however, we would only read about it, of course, in the magazines or see it on television when they would uh, showcase uh, during the weekend, if they did have it during the weekend, however, the news that came out of that area. But in 1985, that all changed when Vince McMahon Jr., however, decided to create WrestleMania and, of course, go up against Jim Crockett's company and Starcade itself. The first time the war would be on between these two great organizations would occur in 1987. But oddly enough, however, over the years, everyone has their own memories of Starcade and certainly has their own memories of also WrestleMania. Me, myself, <laughs> I have memories of both, actually. Uh, in fact, however, the true story of WrestleMania on DVD, if you can find a copy of it somewhere, however, is one worth watching, without question. And it talks about how WrestleMania came into its own. Starcade, of course, was uh, a company, of course, that was named, however, thanks to Dusty Rhodes, the late great American Dream, who tragically we lost a few years ago. But thanks to him and Barry Windham, of course, they appealed to Jim Crockett Jr., who took over the business for his father, Big Jim Crockett Sr., if you will, to uh, start this event. Some similarities besides the wrestlers themselves that competed on both Starcade and uh, WrestleMania were the uh, similarities between the fathers and sons, in a way. Of course, as I just mentioned, Big Jim Sr., of course, uh, owned uh, Mid-South Wrestling at the time, uh, mind you. However, tragically, unfortunately, he would no not get a chance to see this event as he would pass away, sadly, 10 years before the event actually took place in April of 1973. But his son, Howard Jimmy Jr., and his brother David Crockett, Howard, lived their family's legacy on, however and pushed it to the highest degree, along with Dusty Rhodes and Barry Windham, to make Starcade an annual event. And it became an annual event starting in November of 1983, thanks to Barry Windham and Dusty Rhodes, who actually wrestled outside of the football stadium in Tampa, a floor called the Last Tango in Tampa, mind you. Because of this, this is how Starcade was born. Meanwhile, however, up in New York in the Northeast Corridor of New York, Connecticut, and all those areas, Vince McMahon's father, the late great Vince McMahon Sr., who had seen a lot of guys come through his territory, most notably Bruno San Martino and a very young man by the name of Hulk Hogan, 
saw his son itching to get into the business himself. And it all started in 1975, however, when Vince Sr. decided to let his son try out as an announcer. Also, he did many other things in the office, including take tickets, sell programs, even set up rings, however, mind you. Sadly and unfortunately, however, mind you, however, Vince McMahon's father never got to see WrestleMania. He would pass away tragically and sadly, however, due to cancer in June of 84. But before his untimely passing, however, Vince told everyone, however, that he was planning to take over the business one way or another, and he would make his father proud of him. Well, I think Vince Sr. would have been very happy to see that first WrestleMania in one of his most famous arenas, the great Madison Square Garden, had a lot of big names on it and selling out over 20,000 tickets and logging over 1 million buys on closed circuit TV as well. Closed circuit TV was the advent of pay-per-view, and a lot of people who had it got a chance to see it in their local movie theater, or they got to see it on their local television if you had that sort of thing back then. But uh, nevertheless, our Starcade and WrestleMania became each a success in their own way. They also had a little bit of differences, as I told you. Not only did they go up head-to-head in the same year, however, and on the same day at one time, they also competed on another wavelength in some ways. In 1986, however, and 85, Starcade would only do their event not only in one city, but in other cities as well. Besides hosting in the Greensboro Coliseum, mind you, they would also host it in the legendary Atlanta Omni down there in Atlanta, Georgia. Both of those years proved to be successful for the WCW, however, mind you, which was then known as the National Wrestling Alliance. But sadly, by the late 80s into the early 90s, however, Crockett would be caught in a bind. He would be forced to sell his company to Ted Turner, a local businessman who then turned over the name NWA, National Wrestling Alliance, into three simple other letters. Those names turned out to be World Championship Wrestling, or WCW. For Vince McMahon and his company, however, the following year after WrestleMania won, however, he would try to go up head-to-head with Crockett by hosting WrestleMania not in just one city, but two other cities as well. Chicago and L.A., to give it a three-city feel. This didn't turn out to be so successful, unfortunately, and almost completely bombed in a big-time way. This would be the only time WrestleMania would ever do their big event, tower in three different cities. But just like Crockett, however, Vince, too, would feel the sting in the late 80s into the early 90s because of a lot of things. Not just because the fans were coming out and seeing his superstar talent pool. Guys like Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, Andre the Giant were getting up there in years, or starting to get up there in years, however. But some of the product was growing stale. Some of the television wasn't exciting anymore like it had used to been back in the day. Consider the following. NWA, however, used to run, I believe, monthly shows, however, back then, in places like the legendary Richmond Coliseum, the Greensboro Coliseum, the Omni, uh, the Greenville Civic Center, uh, Baltimore, Washington, D.C., Asheville, uh, Myrtle Beach, Florida, down there in 
southern part of Florida, if you will, and also throughout the state of Georgia. Whereas the WWF, however, was doing shows all over the Northeast Corridor and not had even gone down south to even touch that territory. Mostly their territory consisted of places like Madison Square Garden, the legendary Boston Garden, the Capitol Center, the Civic Arena in Pittsburgh, my hometown, the Spectrum in Philadelphia, the Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto, uh, the Joe Louis Arena in Detroit, and other places as well. So you can tell that uh, both territories however, really had a tough time uh, in the late 80s and into the early 90s, however, with what they were working with. But that would soon change, however, by the mid-90s, however. By the mid-90s, however, despite all the things that have been going off and on for the better part of less than five years or so, WCW, however, made their first advance into the Monday Night War pool. It all began, however, when they acquired Randy Macho Man Savage, Hulk Hogan, and others to go up against Vince McMahon's company. Hogan and Savage, after being big main event draws for years in the WWF in New York, however, decided to take their act, however, and head south, if you will. As a result, however, the first shot in the Monday Night War, of course, would take place, however, in early September of 1995. At that time, Lex Luger, who had been a WWF guy and a former WCW guy in his own right, however, for a few years, however, decided to return to his former company of employment despite the fact that there were some questions about his attitude. As a result, however, he would uh, return to the company, however, in the fall of 1995, however, and make an impact in a big-time way. That shot became official and fired, however, on Labor Day night, 1995, September 4th to be exact, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The night before that, however, oddly enough, however, Lex Luger had competed at a house show in Nova Scotia, Canada. Within 24 hours, he was on a plane, however, to Minneapolis, Minnesota, without telling Vince McMahon or any of his WWF friends anything. And within 24 hours later, however, he showed up at the Mall of America in Minneapolis, Minnesota, however, back in his old company, if you will, however. And as a result, however, he actually told everyone that he was here for one reason and one reason only. The shots would be continued to be fired throughout the next few years from both companies, however. But another shot that probably stuck deeper and harder than the first shot, obviously, came later on in 1995. At that time, Medusa, better known to you all as Alundra Blaze, a.k.a. Medusa Michelli, however, decided to take the WWF woman's title, however, and basically drop it in the trash can, if you will. As a result, however, she did so, however, not telling Vince McMahon or any of the WWF anything about this whatsoever. As a result, Vince McMahon was more than irate, to say the least, however, when he found out about this, and as a result, absolutely was livid, to say the least. But Vince McMahon never panicked, never got worried, never really said, I'm ready to roll over and just call it a day. No, 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 no. He would not do that. Instead, despite the fact that he had had trouble issues the previous few years, however, he fired back at his fellow competitor, 
in WCW and Ted Turner by doing some cornball vignettes by portraying guys dressed up as his former superstars of the 80s, calling themselves guys like the Huckster, the Nacho Man, and Scheme Gene. Sure, WCW fans, I'm sure, felt a little upset that Bischoff was getting picked on now by the big bad Vince McMahon, however, but who cares? WCW was making bank, however, doing pretty well at it, even though they had had some guys come back to their company and were starting to win their audience over with their new show. However, in the spring of 1996, both companies were caught in a crossfire yet again, and this time, this would be the defining moment of the Monday Night War. It all took place in May of 1996, or should I say, excuse me, April of 1996. That year, Scott Hall, who had come by way of WCW a few years beforehand, however, and changing his gimmick as a Cuban Al Pacino, Tony Montana wannabe, calling himself Razor Ramon, however, had been suspended by the WWF for the biggest show of the year, WrestleMania. Kevin Nash, known as Big Daddy Cool Diesel, however, and who at one time had worked in WCW as a scraggly, scruffy, green-like wizard character named Oz, however, basically, however, felt that he got out the right time, along with Hall, to jump ship to New York. However, mind you, that would all change. After fighting The Undertaker, however, at WrestleMania 12 and basically losing to him in March of that year, Kevin Nash was wondering what his future lay ahead. Despite the fact he was friends with Scott Hall, Shawn Michaels, the new world champion, and also a gentleman by the name of John Michael Lefesque, better known to you all as Triple H, however, mind you, these guys did everything together. Worked out together, roomed together, traveled together. They were sort of like the Beatles of wrestling. Fans and them, however, would always cheer them and holler for them and applaud them. Some of their fellow, excuse me, fellow competitors didn't appreciate them too much and really didn't like what they stood for by continuing to spit in the face of authority. In May of 1996, however at a house show that has now been known to everyone as the infamous MSG incident, however, the four friends said goodbye in a very emotional, heartfelt moment. That year, of course, Sean had won the title, as I mentioned, two months before at WrestleMania. Hall and Nash were on their way to go elsewhere. And as far as Triple H goes, well, let's just say he was caught red-handed. At the end of the day, Triple H would be punished by the office because of what went down, however, and was forced to take the bullets head-on. While Hall and Nash, however, despite the fact, however, that they wanted to stay, however, felt that they were going to go elsewhere and hopefully be appreciated. Eric Bischoff made the first gesture towards Scott Hall around this time prior to this. And when he told his friend Kevin Nash, however, what was happening, however, Kevin Nash went up to Vince McMahon told him, however, flat out he wanted to stay and begged him to stay if he could just re-sign him to a new contract. Vince pleaded and pleaded for Scott Hall to change his mind and not go with WCW and told him to stay too. 
But at the end of the day, Scott Hall, being stubborn as he was at the time, however, chose to tell Vince McMahon and the rest of the WWE, however, that thanks, but no thanks. As far as Kevin Nash goes, he fought and fought the decision until the 11th hour. But when he saw what Kevin or Scott Hall was making and how many dates he was working at that time, going to be making at that time, he too decided to finally just give in and say, I'm done. I'm going elsewhere where they appreciate me. And so, in the late spring, early part of the summer of 96, mind you, we would see this plan come to fruition and begin what was going to become an infamous quote-unquote hostile takeover. A few months after this, however, mind you, shortly after this, we would see another man emerge out of this. And that turned out to be none other than former WCW and WWE world champion, the Hulkster himself, Hulk Hogan, who for six months prior to this, however, had been telling Eric Bischoff, however, he wanted to change his character back into a bad guy for the first time since early in his career, but finally, and had been told, no, that wasn't going to happen. But when Eric Bischoff approached Hulk Hogan in the summer of 96, prior to the Great American Bash, however, mind you, the big question was going to be this. Who would join up with these so-called two fellow outsiders who had just come by way of New York back to Atlanta in Hall and Nash? People began to speculate who it would be. Some people said it would be Macho Man Randy Savage. Others still thought it would be Ric Flair. But no one thought it would be the one person that for years, however, had been a role model to so many and then suddenly decided to knife him in the back once and for all. And so it came to fruition in July of 1996 that for the first time since 1979, ladies and gentlemen, Hulk Hogan went back to being a heel and joining up with Hall and Nash and forming a group then calling himself simply the NW. Oh. Meanwhile, in New York, however, WWE was barely keeping their heads above the water, despite the fact that they had still some decent talent. Guys like Bret Hart, Triple H were keeping the ship afloat. But in the summer of 96, our WWE struck some gold themselves, however, when they hired former WCW tag team wrestler and former television champion Steve Austin who had been fired by Eric Bischoff and company, however, less than a year before, and who had been working out for previously in Philadelphia with Paul Heyman. And together, along with a young man who would later make an impact by the end of 1996, however, by the name of Dwayne The Rock Johnson, however, mind you, then known as Rocky Maivia, it seemed like WWE was starting to catch fire, or at least try to Get some fire in a bottle, if you will, and try to compete, compete with WWCW, if you will. Meanwhile, however, at the same time, while this was all going on, however, WCW was doing one thing that WWE failed to capitalize on at the time, and that is get a lot of big-name talent from other places. Not just in WWE, mind you, but other places, too. Places like ECW, Japan... Mexico, Canada, and such. As a result, however, they began to implement a division that would be known as the Cruiserweights. 
And as a result, besides the NWO, how the cruiserweights was where the action was. And for most of the rest of the year of 96 into 97, they blew WWE out of the water time after time after time. In the summer of 97, however, mind you, WCW thought they would get another big name by way of WWE. At the time, however, Bret the Hitman Hart, however, who had been champion previously in WWE and who had turned heel for the first time since early in his career when he debuted back in the mid-80s, however, told WCW he was getting tired of getting screwed over by not only the office of WWF at the time, but also by his workers as well. At the time, he called up Eric Bischoff and pleaded with him that Bischoff would give him a contract and give him a chance to show up in WCW. And it almost worked. It almost worked, let's just say. But at the end of the day, it did not work. And despite the fact, however, that he wanted to go, however, he ended up signing a new contract with WWF instead for the better part of 20 years. Or so we thought. In the late summer of 97, however, mind you, WWE was stuck at a crossroads yet again when one of their top stars was injured by Brett's, the Hitman Hart's brother, Owen Hart, to his neck. That gentleman turned out to be Stone Cold Steve Austin. As a result, Howard Austin would be out of action for a couple months due to a severe neck injury that Brett's brother had delivered to him at the SummerSlam pay-per-view. However, in the early part of September into October of 97, however, Brett again continued to fight with management and also some of his fellow competitors, both inside and outside of television. As a result, however, things got tested yet again, however, at one point, to the point where Brett wanted to walk out without even showing up on television. This would prove to be a turning point in the Monday Night War. In October of that year, however, Brett the Hitman Hart's longtime uh, fellow wrestling companion in uh, the Hart Foundation, Brian Pillman, former WCW wrestler, was found dead of a heart attack at the age of 35. And two weeks later, however, Brett gave notice right then and there to Vince McMahon that he wanted out of his contract altogether. While this was going on, many people were wondering what they would do. What they would have to do to get Brett Heller to drop the title that he had just won back only a few months beforehand at the SummerSlam pay-per-view thanks to a botched mistake by Brett's longtime rival and former one-time friend Shawn Michaels. As a result, the plan and the wheels were set into motion, however, on an incident that has become known to this day, however, still as the Montreal Incident. One week before the Survivor Series, however, Brett went on television, however, in Canada, however, to talk about what was going on. He told some of the people in Canada and everywhere else, however, he was tired of what had, WWF had become. He was tired of Shawn Michaels being the pretty cocky, arrogant boy, and that WWF was turning into trash television. And he was telling everyone that basically, in his words, however, that his own kids wouldn't watch the product anymore, especially with the way things had been going on. They weren't watching wrestling, period. They were one of many that felt that wrestling was too, too trashy, and he was tired of it. 
While that was going on, Vince McMahon, along with Sean and soon-to-be down the road, Vince's son-in-law, Triple H, set the wheels and plan in motion to deny Brett a chance to leave the Survivor Series, which was going to be held in Brett's home country of Canada, in the city of Montreal, the championship belt. Three days before the event took place, however, Brett let everyone know, however, he was getting out of his contract with Vince McMahon and heading to WCW. But, at the time, there had to be a rule written. Brett could not simply carry the WWF World's title on Nitro. Vince told Brett Howard to simply drop the belt in his own country of Canada in the city of Montreal that weekend to Shawn Michaels. In Brett's words, however, mind you, Brett felt like he was being betrayed and told Vince time after time, no. Finally, the big day of the event arrived. And finally, however, after much convincing, however, as we would see later on in the movie Wrestling with Shadows, the Brett the Hitman Heart documentary story, however, Brett basically gave in to Vince, however, and told him, however, that he would do it the following night after the Survivor Series and just hand the belt right then and there walk out the door. Vince seemed to be on board for it, and it seemed like that was the genuine idea. Again, so we thought. Unfortunately, that night, however, Bret Hart, however, was put in his own variation of his finishing maneuver by Shawn Michaels, his longtime friend slash rival, the sharpshooter. And right then and there, basically, people said that Bret gave up. Bret never gave up, mind you, however, but he had been screwed over, not only by Vince McMahon, but by Shawn Michaels, by Triple H, and by then-referee Earl Hebner, who at one time had been a longtime friend and close associate of Brett's. As a result, after that night, however, Brett literally went nuts, smashing TVs right there in front of the uh, ring area and coming into the ring afterwards, spelling out the words WCW for the fans to see as to uh, what his next move was going to be as if people didn't know already what he was planning to do. After the show that night, Brett confronted Vince in the locker room, however, and questioned him on why he did what he did. Vince, along with Shawn Michaels, denied everything about it. But in the back of Brett's mind, he knew that both of them were involved somehow, some way. As a result, however, from what we later heard, however, Vince got knocked out with a punch to the face, however, by Brett, and just when it looked like Brett and Sean were to come to blows in the locker room, however, things kind of took a little heated turn, involving Brett's then ex-wife Julie and Triple H, along with some of the boys in the back, as we would see in the movie The Hitman Story. As a result, they told Brett's wife at the time they had nothing to do with it, but in fact, when she knew what was going on, what really was the whole story. The following night, however, mind you, on Raw, however, mind you, the whole story came out as to what really happened. And it wasn't until about less than a month later that Brett would show up in WCW, however, hoping that his career and his own uh, chances of uh, still performing would be good enough for the fans of WCW. 
At the same time, however, mind you, however, Ravishing Rick Rude, who had been with Shawn Michaels, however, and who was not with Brett that, or excuse me, not with Brett, not with uh, Shawn that night in Montreal, however, did see what happened. He actually had a chance to cut a skating promo, however, like uh, Brett had cut right before the Survivor Series, a few weeks before the night after the incident in Montreal. At the same time, however, he was a member of Shawn Michaels' so-called faction group, calling themselves Degeneration X, where they basically bent the rules and broke every rule in the book and didn't care about it. A week later, however, on a tape delay, they would show this uh, interview that had happened between Rick Rude and one of the main guys in WWF. That's because at the time, WWF would always do one live show one week, and then the following night, well before WWF had their other second main show, SmackDown, would tape the following week's show, however, the next night on a Tuesday. So, on Monday night, November 17th, 1997, however, Rick Rude, however, was not only on one network, but two networks. First, he had cut the infamous scathing promo, however, mind you, uh, the week before, however, on a Tuesday night, however, less than two days after the Survivor Series in Montreal that would air the following Monday. And when people thought that Rude was shooting from the hip that Monday night, however, on uh, Raw, however, they were to be disappointed. They found out that the comments that he had made were pre-recorded because that night, however, Rick Rude, however, had told no one, just like Lex Luger had done, mind you, two years before this, however, and had jumped ship that weekend. Without Vince McMahon knowing, without Shawn Michaels knowing, without anyone knowing in the WWF front office, however, Rick Rude had decided to jump out of the WWF cesspool, if you will, and head back to one of his former companies, WCW, and tell everyone what really was going on and what had really happened in Montreal. People could not believe what they were seeing. Here was Rick Rude bad-mouthing the WWF and Bret Hart and Vince McMahon for what had happened, however, mind you, however, basically, and telling Vince McMahon he was wrong just a week before on a tape delay show that was, I mean, lot tape delayed that night on Raw. And here he was that same very night, however, after taping the show the week before on a Tuesday night, mind you, showing up on WCW Monday Night Show the following Monday, however, and telling everyone his side of the story and what he really thought of the whole ordeal. Was it a smart move, in my opinion? I would think I think so. Again, it depends on how much money he got and how much he was being paid. But at the time, I mean, you think about it, though, that was a gutsy move, just like Luger had done two years before. Unfortunately, the end of 97 saw Brett, however, in his new company, WCW, and he was hoping, however, for a fresh new start while WWF was trying to continue to uh, chip into WCW's Monday Night War rating, however by uh, putting on of the same old, same old, and also upping their product. In early 1998, however, 
WWE would change all of that with the first showing of a battle between good and evil. The evil turned out to be Vince McMahon, who was still getting the wrath from the fans after what had happened in Montreal. And the good had been a guy, however, who Bret Hart had had dealings with the previous year, and now was faced to confront the boss himself, however, and question the boss's loyalty, however, after the boss had told him he would not be able to compete, however, due to the injury he had suffered thanks to Bret's brother, Owen. That gentleman turned out to be Stone Cold Steve Austin. In April of 1998, however, the first McMahon-Austin showdown would commence. And on that night, however, WWF finally won around for the first time in almost two-plus years, however, by beating the WCW. For the better part of the next several months, however, they would continue to trade wins back and forth with each other. But about this time, however, WWF was starting to turn the corner in the Monday Night War and start to bury WCW, after WCW had basically buried them for so many weeks at a time. One of the highest rated uh, shows of that 1998 year on both ends of the company turned out to be in July of that year. A man by the name of Bill Goldberg, however, who had come by way of the previous year in September and had mauled through just about anybody and everybody in his wake, however, confronted Hollywood Hulk Hogan, however, in his own home state of uh, Georgia in the city of Atlanta in front of 40,000 people in July of that year at the Georgia Dome on an episode of Monday Night Nitro. This would prove to be one of the last few times WCW would win the Monday Night War against WWE, or WWF at the time. As a result, Goldberg, of course, won the world's title that night, however, thanks to some help from a couple friends, however. But by the end of 1998 into 1999, however, the wheels were starting to come off, and it wouldn't be long before everything began to fall apart. We'll tell you more about that in just a second, but let's give you the number again. 1-724-444-7044, call ID 139925-POUND, and you can listen to us right now. I'm your host, the Iceman, Jerry DiGiovanni. This is episode 41 of Wrestling Debate. Uh, We were expecting the Black Widow herself and also King NWO Gerard T. Smith uh, on the line tonight, but unfortunately due to circumstances beyond their control, they have prior obligations. Hopefully they will be joining us here in just a little while on the Revolution Show, which you can listen to beginning at 9 p.m. The caller ID is 138055-POUND. Of course, tonight we'll be talking about SmackDown from last night, which was a very interesting night in Seattle, Washington, if you will. And speaking of uh, Revolution, this Sunday, ladies and gentlemen, at 5 p.m., listen to the gang, of course, myself, Gerard, Michelle, and the rest of the gang, including the last kicker, Amory Reckenbach, the human suplex machine, John Gross, uh, the JML Experience, the big IQ, Jeff Teeters, the Rush, Ronda Rush Wright, the Lowdown Man himself, Kendrick Smith, and others, however, as we will be making our bets and also picks for the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view, which will be coming up this Sunday night live on the WWE Network, uh, live from the Talking Stick Resort Arena there in the Valley of the Sun, Phoenix, Arizona. But, of course, this Sunday at 5 p.m., you can join the gang with uh, predictions and also maybe bets as well, however, here on TalkShoe. And, of course, tomorrow night, join Gerard, myself, and Michelle for Top Heel Inc., the best Thursday night show, however, of good and Evil Intentions. No, just kidding. It's uh, a good show from the big three that bring you the debate teller here on Wednesday nights. Michelle, Gerard, and myself. The caller ID is 14562. And then at 9 o'clock, ladies and gentlemen, join the gang again, hopefully, for a very special edition of Wolfpack Radio. The caller ID is 138521-POUND. So definitely check us out. And, of course, uh, 
earlier this afternoon. We had a very special edition of Wrestling Revisited. You can go back and listen to that. The caller ID is 139926-POUND. Uh, of course, we will be back on the air in our normal time slot uh, this uh, next Tuesday, beginning at 7 p.m. Join Gerard and myself as we will give you another time, place in our wonderful time machine. Of course, today we uh, did an impromptu Wednesday show due to the fact that last night we had a mild snafu in the control set. As a result, however, that show, unfortunately, uh, was set uh, from yesterday till today, so you can definitely go back and listen to that today, and I'll tell you what, folks, if you get a chance to listen tonight, we'll tell you it was a very good show. We talked a lot about a particular event in the past that we always do every week, Howard, and you can check us out every Tuesday night, Howard. The caller ID is 139926, of course, pound, and you can check us out every Tuesday. Of course, today we did an impromptu show due to the fact that, as I said earlier, we had a mild uh, issue last night that we could not control and we had to get that fixed. So we got that fixed earlier this morning, and as a result, we had a very special edition of Wrestling Revisited earlier today. Okay. As I was saying, folks, excuse me. As we were saying, uh, going into 1999, at the end of 1998, into early 1999, ladies and gentlemen, uh, mind you, another thing happened. And that turned out to be that Bill Goldberg's undefeated streak and as world champion would come to an end. Thanks to Scott Hall, however, Basically, Kevin Nash, however, who was named the new primary writer for the WCW writing team, however, defeated the undefeated Goldberg in front of a pretty big crowd at the annual Starcade pay-per-view that year, however, stopping Goldberg's streak at 173-0. As a result, he became the new world's champion in the process, too. Some people liking it, some people not liking it. As a result, some people thought at the time, however, the worst was yet to come or the best was yet to come. Well... That depends on your point of view, because several days later, however, oddly enough, as 1999 began, the year that we would later know as the year the wheels fell off, the wheels began to start crumbling in more ways than one even more. That night, Kevin Nash took on Scott, or excuse me, his former NWO mate, however, Hollywood Hulk Hogan, who had just been returning to the WCW after being away for a few months due to a prior obligation. And that night in Atlanta, however, in the main event, however, mind you, it turned out to be a farce in a big-time way. Hulk Hogan poked Kevin Nash in the chest, however, which would later be known as the infamous finger poke of doom. As a result, however, Hulk Hogan pinned Nash 1-2-3 and fooled everyone along with Nash Hall and the rest of his friends, however, by basically fixing them in, however, and suckering them in, however, by basically telling them, however that it was nothing more than a simple farce to try to reunite their group, the former NWO, back together again. That same night, however, mind you, Tony Schiavone, former WCW announcer, however, made the obscene comment, however, through Eric Bischoff, however, that Mick Foley was going to win the WWF World's title from The Rock, however, in the main event on Raw. And in an sarcastic tone, simply said, however, that'll put butts in seats, however. Well, unfortunately, however... This would turn out to be a big disaster for WCW in a big-time way. Prior to that, they were still giving WWE quite a bit of a chase, however, in the Monday Night War for the first time in a few months. But once Tony made that comment before the main event would begin that night, however, fans switched over from TNT to USA Network to see the big main event on USA Network between The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, who had turned heel, however, by joining up with Vince McMahon and his entourage, known as the Corporation, taking on Mick Foley. These two, of course, would have some serious battles throughout the year, however, but no more evident was the battle bigger than this here. 
that night on WWE Monday Night Raw. As a result, thanks to help from Stone Cold Steve Austin, the one person that Vince McMahon, along with The Rock and his entire group, had detested, however, Mick Foley became a world's champion that night in front of a big crowd, however, near his home city of Long Island, if you will. Meanwhile, back on WCW Nitro in Atlanta, however, the main event turned out to be a big farce, and when the brains came out the next morning, however, they proved to be quite shocking, to say the least. As a result, however, mind you, WCW, how up to the point that Tony made those comments, were right there, uh, neck and neck with WWE as far as the ratings go. But once Tony made those comments, however, fans switched over to USA, however, and then went back to watching the last little bit of Nitro. In the end, Nitro would take a major hit. At the time, they were tied with WWE with a score of 4.2 even. But by the end of the night, however, WWE would win the ratings war and the night itself, scoring a 4.6 to a 4.0. As WCW fans, over half a million people switched over to watch the main event on Raw and not watch the somewhat questionable, somewhat farcical main event on Nitro. But that wasn't the only thing that would begin to uh, crumble apart on WCW besides the finger poke at doom and, of course, the Goldberg uh, title uh, uh, switcheroo and questionable move that had happened at Starcade the week before. No, no. It would get worse. Throughout the rest of much of 1999, however, WCW was barely just trying to keep their heads above uh, from sinking. And in the fall of 1999, ladies and gentlemen, however, it would get worse. Eric Bischoff was told by Dr. Harvey Schiller and the whole Turner brand to go home, to take it easy, if you will, and take time off. As a result, however, he would do so, but unfortunately, however, it would be a big, big risk. The question was now, who would take over as the new executive vice president? Who would take over the WCW brand? Well, they would get their wish, however, mind you, however, in the form of two guys who had worked with Vince McMahon the previous few years. Two TV writers by the name of Ed, Rus- Ed Ferrara and Vince Russo would come by way of New York to Atlanta to try to stop the bleeding, if you will, in WCW. At the same time, however, a lot of things had happened outside of the ring as well, including Owen Hart's passing in May of that year, in which he had fallen in a freak accident following a show in Kansas City. And when Bret Hart uh, was supposed to fight, Bill Goldberg, prior to that, however, found out about his brother, however, untimely uh, falling to his passing, however, he would take a few months off. But by the fall of 1999, Bret had had just about enough of what WCW stood for. He was hoping that they were promising him They had promised him everything and anything under the sun. And it turned out to be, well, nothing more than false hope. As a result, Brett, of course, began to complain, just like he had done in WWF a few years prior to this, however, mind you. And as a result, however, it wouldn't be long before Brett would be shown the door by WCW. Or he telling WCW to go stick it where the sun doesn't shine. In October of 1999, of course, Brett and 
fellow Canadian wrestler, a good friend of his by the name of Chris Benoit, fought a very special emotional tribute match, one of my favorite matches of all time, in the same arena that Owen had passed away on the previous previous May. As a result, the two of them put on the best match of the night by far, and one of the best matches of the year, but still. It was too little too late, and the dam continued to crack open even further with what WCW was doing. Two weeks after this occurred, however, Vince Russo and Ed Farrar arrived into WCW, however, along with a friend of theirs by the name of Jeff Jarrett, who had gone by way of WCW to WWE for a brief time, however, to try to resurrect his career, was now heading back again to WCW, this time with Russo and Farrar, hoping that uh, they would give him a big moderate push after not being given everything and anything that much in New York, however, previously. Despite the fact he had been taught in mid-mid-card status prior to this, however, in WWE and in WCW before this, the first time out, however, Jeff would then be pushed straight up to the moon and then some by Russo and Farrar, and as a result, however, he would start to be the top guy, how like Triple H and The Rock and Austin had been in New York, he would start to become the top guy in WCW by becoming the top main event guy in the company. He would start headlining most of the shows on TV or pay-per-view, calling himself the so-called chosen one. What did I think of this? Personally, I think it was a crock of crap, if you ask me. I think Jeff Jarrett was just there back in WCW at the time, around the late 90s, early 2000s, just simply to kiss Vince Russo's back end along with Ed Ferraris, however, and just continue to brag, I'm the chosen one, and this and that. I mean, I think Mike Graham, the late Mike Graham, uh, son of uh, former Florida promoter Eddie Graham, said it best in the Rise and Fall WCW DVD. I mean, Jeff Jarrett used to have all these uh, guitars, however, that, like, I don't know what to call them, fake or not, but he used to have all these guitars, hiring to smash all these guitars on people. And uh, personally, I don't think he ever drew a dime. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. Uh, that's just my opinion. But I think by the fall, size winter of 99, I think Jeff Jarrett, uh, like Bret Hart, thought he was going to be pushed to the moon. <coughs> Excuse me. And then some, obviously, and he did. But I think during his time also in WCW, the second time out, I think, there were some questions about his attitude, both inside and outside of the ring. Personally, I think he was really too much of a cocky, arrogant you-know-what. And I just think that's uh, what really started to really not only put the wheels in the quicksand, so to speak, and start to sink, however, but also began to hurt the company as a whole, you know? And again, like I said, folks, the worst was yet to come. Uh, Next week, folks, I will continue this conversation, possibly, or on a future show, we will go back and Look, continue this conversation. But in the meantime, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're going to end the show a little bit early tonight. I do want to thank you all for listening, however. I hope you enjoyed uh, listening to what I had to say about some of this stuff, however. And if you always want to check us out, check us out on TalkShoe.com. Uh, we're here each and every day. Uh, let's give you the number one more time, one seven two four 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 seventy forty four. Of course, we will be on in just a little bit with uh, Revolution. Again, I am your host, the Iceman Jared DiGiolamo. I do want to thank you for listening in tonight. And as we take you out tonight, folks, I'm going to play for you uh, another very interesting tune. Uh, This is uh, Stanley Myers uh, uh, playing for us right now of a movie that 
back in the late 70s was a very, very big hit. Uh, it's from the movie The Deer Hunter, which started Robert De Niro, Christopher Walken, Meryl Streep, John Cassell, and also John Savage. Uh, it is the theme song of this movie, of course. It was directed by the late, great Michael Cimino, who sadly last year we lost, however. Michael Cimino also directed and uh, basically made a movie also in the 70s called Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, mind you, which started Clint Eastwood and also Jeff Bridges along with George Kennedy. But this is... Uh, one of the better hits of the 1970s. It's also a very sad movie in a way, but it's also a very good movie. It's one of my favorites, actually, again. It's called The Deer Hunter. It is Stanley Myers' uh, hit uh, from this movie. So we're going to turn it on right now, and we will talk to you soon. Have a great night, everyone. And uh, we'll talk to you very soon. So for now, reporting live from Ringside, this is the Iceman, Jody Jones, saying so long, and we will talk to you soon. Have a good night, everyone, and we'll catch you later. Good night, everyone.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.